What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. What is a lifestyle investor? Today, you're going to find out because we bring on the lifestyle investor himself, Justin Donald, book author, podcast host. You've probably seen uh, his stuff posted everywhere. But one of the things I love about this episode is that he helps us understand a lifestyle investor is someone who gets to actually do what they want, where they want, when they want, because they became an investor. They became financially free through using the tools and the strategies that he's going to break down for us, Joey. What are those tools that he right. used? And all his investments. Right. There's four main principles that guide all of his investments. And they, he breaks these down one by one. Mindset, leading off the charge. Two, structure. Three, filter. And four, negotiation. The so what to you is when you put all of these things together and you have the mentors in your life who are helping you to get down that path, Justin was able to retire his wife as a school teacher with one deal. One deal and she's no longer has to go to school. Could that be you? Just by listening to today's episode, let's dive in right now with Justin Donald. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Wealth Without Wall Street Tribe, we are all learning to be lifestyle investors today with our guest, Justin Donald. Justin, so glad to have you in the studio today. Thanks, Joey. So glad to be here. Russ, excited to hang, excited to talk and, you know, talk about life and business and investing and wealth creation. Yeah, well, I, many of us have been following you from afar and excited to, to kind of dig deeper, man, and, and ask the questions that uh, some people haven't had a chance to ask you. And But for those who haven't followed your story, right, you got into this, you, you, you and your wife are doing the traditional game, working and you said, hey, I want to create a life style that would allow us to spend more time together and do the things that we want. Talk a little bit about that start and what was kind of the genesis. Yeah. So, you know, at that time, um, I, I had, uh, you know, a business that was basically, you know, contracted out to another company. I worked uh, under the umbrella of Cutco. Uh, and so, you know, in many ways, that's kind of like my first uh, endeavor into entrepreneurship and into, you know, what owning a business is like, but not fully owning it. So owning pieces of it, but having, you know, fulfillment and, and kind of back office and all that taken care of corporately. Um, but it, it was a great start for me. And, and my busy schedule happened to fall on the exact time that my wife had off. My wife was a teacher. 
and she had her summers off and she had her winter breaks off because the students were off. But with the Cutco model, I had really busy times when students were off. That's when they needed jobs. They needed to work. And so we were just totally on the opposite schedule. And I really wanted to correct that. I really wanted her to get to work, not have to work. And outside of you know those busy times for me, I had all kinds of flexibility. But as a teacher, she had no flexibility. Uh, so it was one of those things where I knew at some point I wanted to buy my time back, but I knew it was more important first and foremost to buy her time back, get us on the same schedule. And uh, that way we could travel and, you know, kind of just do more of life together. And so for, you know, for me, I was like, what, what's the best way to replace her income? You know, it's hard in, in one fail swoop to replace someone's income. Like if you buy a, uh, you know, a rental house, you're probably not replacing your spouse's income. You know, luckily as a teacher, she wasn't making a huge income, but it was still more than what, you know, one single family home was going to provide. Uh, so luckily I had some friends that were investing in mobile home parks. And at first I thought they were crazy. I remember one of my buddies said, Hey, Justin, I'm going to sell all my single family homes and I'm going to buy mobile home parks and I'm going to go to a boot camp." do you want to come with me? And he was really excited. And I was like, no, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I have no interest whatsoever in uh, buying mobile home parks. But I just sat back and I watched and he did really well. And he bought his time back. He bought his wife's time back, his time back, uh, and just had this abundance of time making really good income and not from very many acquisitions. I mean, even just one or two. And I thought, you know what? why am I not just taking this playbook? And so I decided to dive in. I ended up going to a boot camp to learn how to do it from the authority in the space. And, um, you know, the rest is kind of history. I bought my first park. It was a seller finance deal. I only had to put 15% down and the cash flow from that deal uh, was more than what my wife was bringing in after tax. And so in one fail swoop, we were able to replace her income and buy her time back. Dude, that's fantastic. And here's the thing I love about this is that you, you you watch someone else do it, right? So you had kind of a mentor, if you will, but then you paid to go get the knowledge. I mean, I had a buddy of mine that did this too. I think he read a handful of books. Next thing you know, he's running a Mexican brothel out of one of them. He's telling me about what a disaster it is. And it's the opposite <laughs> effect, right? Like he was probably the one seller financing it to you. Like, let me get out of this deal as quickly as possible. You, you learned a lot of lessons in that, uh, in that, and early on investing in that, what were some of those that someone listening right now who may be sitting on the edge, kind of like where you were thinking about what should I do? What were some of those things that you learned that would be applicable? Well, I, I mean, I learned so many lessons. Uh, I mean, we could do a whole podcast episode just on the lessons. I, I mean, for starters, I was the hard money for my friend. And so I was earning a return. He's like, I'll give you 10% on your money. And I was like, well, that's really good. I'll take it, but there's no upside, right? So as a hard money lender, you make your your points, you make your you know interest payments, and 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 the interest is your return, right? But I'm seeing him earning a huge return, and I'm seeing him getting 20% cash and cash return or greater than that. I'm seeing uh, the equity that he's building in it. I'm seeing the the note get paid down with every single payment that he was making. And then I'm seeing the value of the property increase as he's making it better and as rents increase and as he's bringing in, 
you know, tenants that are, you know, bringing it to full occupancy. And so it was just very obvious from the standpoint of, do I want to have a better return in a very safe asset, um, an asset class? And the answer there was yes. So that was a great lesson that I learned. Um, but another lesson is that I'm a really good copycat. Why on earth should I try and reinvent the wheel if I have all these smart people that have paved the way before me that I can just copy them? And maybe when I get close to as good as them or close to, let's just say proficient, I can innovate. But I didn't even feel like I needed to innovate until I had this thing down, right? So for me, it was like, why reinvent the wheel? Just pick people that are good, that are best in class, that are experts at the things that they do and just emulate what they do. There's a playbook, success leaves clues. And, you know, I want to do that. And then the other thing, you know, and again, I could probably give you 10 lessons, but here's a really good one. I like to do whatever it is that I'm later going to delegate. And so that way I know what I'm doing. I know that the person that's taking it on is doing well. And I'm really good at making mistakes at the beginning and then figuring them out and then finding the process that works, then actually building a process. And once I have a process, I feel like I can plug someone in. And so this is a great model in business where you can build those systems, you can plug other people in, and then that you know really um, eliminates or reduces your time as the owner spent in the business. Well, that's a, that's a great, I mean, I I wish we had time to go into all of those. One thing before we, today, I feel like we can get into some of the guiding principles that you have for investments. I think there's a lot we can dig into, but before we do talk about the mental part, the mindset of you and your wife, you're having this conversation. She's a school teacher. She wants to have that freedom too, I assume, because you guys are like two ships passing in the night with your schedules. But talk about this conversation. Hey, my buddy's done this. I'm thinking we're going to invest in mobile home parks, honey. So what what's that like? What's that conversation like and how does it unfold from there? Well, first of all, I think my wife thought I was crazy way early on because I just love going to conferences and I love like learning and I read a ton. And so, I mean, there is a point in time I go to these different, you know, conferences or, or motivational speaker events. And she's like, you're doing what? I'm like, do you want to come with? No, I got no interest in doing that. And what's great is over time, uh, I feel like the move, the, the needle moved. And so she really got into a lot of the things that uh, I was doing and and started going. I mean, we went to uh, some Tony Robbins stuff, which was cool. She thought I was crazy at first. So that was fun. So when I talked mobile home park, she was like, I don't know. Um, I've got a good job. My parents have good jobs. Her mom was a teacher. Her dad worked for uh, Department of Revenue uh, for the state of Missouri. And um, it was just really like the the, you know, take the safe route, get a job that has a pension that you can retire from, put in the time. So she was a little put back at this and and was unsure, I would say for sure, a little uncomfortable at first. It helped that we had a friend that she knew that did well with it. So that was, you know, part of it. But she also knew my, you know, crazy ideas from early on and all the things that I wanted to build and the lifestyle that I talked about having and 
you know, she she probably thought it was a pipe dream way back when, but uh, it's been neat to see a lot of that kind of play out over the years. And she's had to trust me on a lot of things and she's had to be okay kind of standing by and like living through some of the mistakes I've made also. So I, you know, definitely appreciate that. Um, but it has been uh, a real cool experience from her. Like, are you sure we want to do this? And by the way, at the beginning, I was like, I would wake up in the middle of the night in like cold sweats, like not able to sleep. Like, what am I doing? Am I throwing my money away? Like, this is all the money I've saved. And I'm going to put it on, you know, I'm going to put all this money into a mobile home park. Like, I don't know. I mean, I got, I was very like anxious about it. And I just kept telling myself, and here's where mindset kind of, you know, sets in a little bit. I just said, well, if other people have done it and they've got the playbook, if I just copy that playbook, I'll at least be what? 70% as good as they are. Right. 70% is a lot better than where I am today. I know they've done it. I think I can do it too. And so I use logic instead of emotion to kind of help me when uh, I was anxious or when I was uncomfortable. Because anytime we get out of our comfort zones, that's that's a tough place to be. And and believe it or not, I actually talked my wife into doing the book. So she ended up doing all of the accounting for the mobile home park portfolio early on. So uh, we really were a team. And, uh, you know, th th that was really a, a cool experience. And later on, she decided, ah, I'd rather have other people do it instead of me. You know, it might be better on date night to not be talking about uh people that we need to evict or, you know, rent collections that are due. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we decided to, you know, bring someone in, uh, one of our, our trusted managers we've worked with in some other businesses. And, and that was a good call. Well, that's smart. I mean, she walked on the hot coals with you at the Tony Roberts event. She decided to take on accounting, which for most people is very difficult. Um, at least it is for me. So I, I think I'd go back to the hot coals versus do accounting again. So I'm with her on that. Uh, <laughs> But one of the things, if you heard this tribe, is that what Justin talked about is that he wasn't trying to invent a new idea. He wasn't trying to create something that hadn't already existed. Wasn't even necessarily trying to innovate on an idea. He was just trying to follow a proven model. And we talk about that all the time. You have to know what your investor DNA is, understand what your gifts are, and then follow an existing path that already has the success. Very smart. So, for you, right? What a, what I'm really interested in this for your investor DNA, something we talk about a lot on our show. What is it specifically that you were like looking at the I know you had a friend doing it. I know you went to a boot camp, but at some point you're like, I know I can do this because of this skill set, this mindset that I have, this way that I look at the world. For you, what was the connection in the mobile home park? Well, I really think I'm a great copycat. Um, you know, a lot of people think that I like innovate and do all this stuff. Like I am just really good at copying other people. And and maybe down the road, I do some innovating. Maybe when I feel like I figure it out. Um, so I like having a playbook. If I have a playbook, I feel like I can run the playbook. Uh, I'm probably not as strong at creating the playbook, though I've done it. And in many instances, you have to do that in life and in business. Um, but I wouldn't say it just because I can do it doesn't mean that I'm I'm great at it. My my goal is to find people that are world class and and have them be world class in in the areas that uh, they can specialize in that I'm not right. So trying to find those perfect complements. So you know that to me made sense. I like I mean there's a lot of things about mobile home parks that I like. 
there's this whole um, supply demand imbalance, right? It's it's affordable housing. It's kind of the lowest uh, stop before um, you would you would be you know homeless, and so it is it is highly in demand. There's only 44,000 of them in the U.S. About 100 get redeveloped every single year. So there's like scarcity around the supply. You can't. It's hard to build more of them. Cities don't like them. They're too costly. Uh, you know, the, the list kind of goes on and on. So you've got um, affordable housing, which is like just by far the best. Like look at any recession, look at, you know, the pandemic, look at anything. And you're going to see that occupancy is strong. You're going to see that defaults are low. I mean, it's the lowest defaulted real estate asset class out there every single year. So, I mean, there's a, a lot to like about it. So for me, it was like once I understood all the value that was there and I got away from just thinking of it uh, the way that maybe I understood it being portrayed on shows on TV, you know, and realizing actually it's it's not really like what I thought it was. And there are good quality people that live in these parks and I can offer a product that is better than the neighboring products. Uh, so I feel like I'm, I'm adding value and my family wins from that. It, it, it made it very compelling. And, uh, and then I'm also not afraid to talk to whoever I need to talk to, to solve whatever problem I have. And at the beginning, there was just so much I didn't know. And so I think mentors are so imperative. I think having a peer group that plays the game of business and life and wealth creation and investing at a higher level than we do is essential. And so I'm just not afraid to ask for help and I'm not afraid to go to best in class for that help. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the Passive Income Operating System, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before. Go to whatswhatwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S. There was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pop quiz day. Why? Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared, though, for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. Well, so I, I appreciate all those points. And again, I feel like we could dig into each one individually, but I want to focus on uh, something else here. You didn't stop with mobile home park investing. That was your start that you kind of built that out, that became your freedom exit strategy for both your wife and for you. And uh, this is all, by the way, Tribe, if you haven't read Justin's book, The Lifestyle Investor, do yourself a favor and go get that. Um, it's a great read and it, it uncovers a lot more depth of what we're talking about today. But what it led to is a lot more of investing, a lot of different types of things. And one of the, the things you talk about in your book is that there's four principles or guiding um, or that, that guide your investments. And we've just talked about mindset briefly, and that's something we, we talk about on the show quite a bit. But the other three would be structure, filter, and negotiation. And I'd love for us to dig into those a little bit today, 
maybe even just some examples of each one so that the tribe can take that and apply it where they're at right now. So you mind just diving in maybe to structure first and, and seeing where that goes. Yeah, this is fun. And, and it's, it's really interesting because most of the time I'm on podcast, people want to know about the 10 commandments. So I actually rarely get to talk about, you know, uh, what I think is the setup for it, which are these four philosophies. And, you know, we talked mindset and it is first because it is the most important. But, um, you know, when you look at like the structure of a deal um, and this isn't necessarily just the terms, but it also is inclusive of the terms. But it, it's figuring out, you know, how do we make this deal work? How do we create uh, something that is going to create success for you in acquisition. My, my goal is to buy assets that produce income. And in the beginning, I had no passive income and I wanted to build passive income. And then later on down the road, I had so much passive income, I had another problem on my hands. And it was, you know, this is like the whole idea of we're all going to have problems. It's better to have good quality problems or better quality problems, but it's still a problem. So what do I do with excess capital, right? Uh, so, so the structure that you build out um, your deals makes all the difference in the world because you could structure a deal to be, I don't know, like a 10-year deal or 20-year deal. Like most people, when they invest, most people put their money in the stock market. So it's wealth on Wall Street, Right. Uh, and hopefully Ooh, that. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm sorry. Try put your earmuffs on when he just said that. I apologize. We did not tell him in advance. Yeah. Oof. My ears are bleeding. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Can't say that. Can't say that. <laughs> but it, I mean, the reality is like most people, when they come to the end of the road, the results aren't what they were told that they were going to be. Right. Um, so most people that, I mean, they put most of their money in the stock market, right? 90%, you know, if, unless you're a business owner and you're putting the majority in your business and then all the excess then into the stock market, right? And then from there, for whatever reason, people love to, you know, I think it maybe it's cool or it's societally correct or a norm to like invest in these high risk, early stage seed investment, you know, type of, of companies where, you don't even know if that investment went well for like 10, 15, 20 years. And if you keep that strategy, you may have invested in a ton of deals, not knowing that that strategy or, or your process doesn't work until year 20 when that company doesn't make it, right? It's just so high risk. And it's so crazy to me how many people do that. So for me, I wanted to create a structure that is a safer structure. How do I get principal back? quickly because that de-risks the deal. How do I get cash flow right away? That de-risks the deal. How do I put less down? That de-risks the deal. And there's so many different ways. How do I have proper protection in place? Collateral. Uh, how do I get a personal guarantee? The, these things de-risk the deal. So if I can get the structure right out of the gates, then I likely can be close to being in the money day one with a very low likelihood of losing money day one or, or shortly there into that agreement. So th me, that would just be an example of the way I look at structure. Let me, let me ask you this, Justin. Do you have a specific example of a, a, a recent deal or something like maybe your favorite deal on a structure that you could say, hey, this is how I looked at this deal. And this is what we ended up doing for structure that ended up being a huge win for us. So this one's going to vary quite a bit because it depends on the asset class. You know, with real estate, of course, I would love to do, 
zero down or as close to zero down as I can in a seller finance deal? And can I do interest only for a period of time? Um, you know, like all of that is, is wonderful. Like, let's say though, that we're transitioning into another type of business ownership. Like, you know, we're talking about buying a company. Um, if we're buying a company, then the deal and, and their partners, then the terms are probably a little bit different. So I've done a bunch of deals where I bring in equity partners who are the operators and um, I'm the money or I'm the majority of the money. And so I've done a handful of deals where maybe um, maybe we're even partners. Let's say that there are three partners and we're all one third partners or there are two partners and we're 50% partners or 60, 40 partners. But what I, what I will do is I'll structure what's called an accelerated distribution schedule. So uh, for all the dollars that come out, I get 100% of that or I get 90 or 80% of that until my initial uh, capital in is paid back and then it reverts back to the equity split. So that would be like you know a unique way to structure a deal where, hey, in one instance, I was only a 25% owner but I structured the distribution schedule to be 90-10. I get 90%, my partners get 10% until my money's paid back, then it reverts. Um, you know, th so th there's a lot of different, you know, structures like that. Um, I think, you know, and, and by the way, on the side of like partnership agreements, there's so many things that can be done from, you know, vesting schedules over a period of time, uh, you know, pay, plus, you know, equity or, you know, maybe no equity in, in the beginning and, and that's being earned. Um, yeah, you, you can create different hurdles. You can create different success metrics. You know, when you have an operating agreement, the, the world's your oyster on how you want to set that up. Uh, and, and even from the standpoint of like, uh, if you're getting lending with personal guarantees, there's a way to minimize your exposure on a personal guarantee. So I've done countless deals with partners where I have been able to have no personal guarantee, or I've been able to limit my personal guarantee to just 20% with the bank. Um, that would be another way where, you know, sometimes you're looking at how do I, how do I structure the upside, but I like to also look at how do I structure that downside? That's so, that's so critical. I love, so tribe, listen in as Justin is, is breaking this down, the, the key here is creativity, right? It's, I think one of the things we talk about a lot on the show, Justin, is the Wall Street mindset has squashed creativity because what have we been trained to do? We've been trained to just give our money over to an existing structure, an existing set of rules, an existing set of like parameters and the way the quote unquote world works is Wall Street's in charge and you just give them your money. Well, that does not encourage creativity. It doesn't encourage looking at a deal from all these multiple angles that you just kind of, you know, quickly went through with us. And I want to encourage you as you're on this investment journey to become financially free. The world is your oyster, as you just mentioned, right? This is this is your journey and you're the one that is responsible for it. So man, start looking at things and wondering how can I 
create this deal in the best possible scenario for myself, for the investors I work with, for the even for the seller. Like there may be a, a really creative way that you can provide them value. Um, and, and man, that's that's just super. It's a very good takeaway from today. Now, structure is not where you ended. You, you start going into filter as a next step in in your principles to guide your investing. How, how would you explain that? And then maybe an, a specific example of a, a way that you've used a filter to to help you. Yeah, I love your explanation. And, and before I go into filter, I just want to say, like, I love the work that you're doing and the education that you guys are providing to your community. Um, you know, I know that your community is probably not guilty or as guilty as as the rest of America and the way that they're doing things. But the fees on Wall Street are egregious. And, you know, what's touted as the safest uh, portfolio allocation of a 60-40 split stocks to bonds had one of the worst performances in the last century. Like I think it was top three worst performance ever. At one point last year, it was the worst ever. Um, and this is supposed to be the safest, not to mention from a money manager standpoint, you only have uh, in the last 15 years, 5% of the money managers that outperform the S&P 500 index. And in the 15 years before that, only 4%. Oh, and by the way, no one repeated Right. So you so whoever outperformed, you know, prior to that didn't outperform the next 15 years. So like the odds of getting ahead are not good. And talk to anyone who's about to retire. I almost with certainty will guarantee that that they will tell you that the numbers did not play out the way that they were projected. So I just I think it's important to most people want to outsource this to someone else because maybe they don't have the education. And I just encourage everyone this is something to take ownership of uh, your, your finances, your investment, your wealth creation. This is not an outsourceable thing. You can you as you grow your foundation and your understanding, your education aspects can be outsourced. But the education piece, the, the basic foundation that exists cannot be outsourced. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. In fact, I know, Justin, you're a believer and, and we talk about this on our show quite a bit. Like we are called to be stewards and the steward, um, if you remember in the, the parable of the talents, what did, what did um, the, the owner come back to the third steward and he, what did he say? He said, you wicked and slothful servant. Well, sloth is the exact thing that we're talking about. When I don't take ownership and I literally abdicate that to somewhere else or I put my head in the sand, that is the opposite of what we're called to do. And so it is a participatory sport. It is something, whether you want to or not, it is what you're called to do. So great point. Um, and I just want to reiterate that. No one else is going to be as good of a steward of your money as you are. Um, everyone else, the, the, the infrastructure that is set up, even from a compensation standpoint, is, is opposite. It's, it's out of alignment with you as an investor. Right. Um, people that manage your money get compensated by different fee structures and different investments. And they, uh, you know, I mean, there are studies done on this showing that a lot of these money managers don't even invest their dollars in the same thing that they put their clients in because they earn higher commissions uh, in those products. And so they're, they're doing that. I mean, we could talk all day. We could do an episode just on that. But, <laughs> you know, to, to stay on topic, to stay on point, you know, the filter, I think, is so important. I think this is so overlooked. And uh, really, what I want to say is everyone 
should come up with their own investment criteria. What are your goals in investing? Like, what are your outcomes that you want? And, and you should have, you should create, I teach my mastermind this and, and we go over this all the time. I mean, we literally had a three hour session just on investment criteria and creating a one page sheet that can encapsulate all the things that you're looking for. Because when you have an investment criteria and you know, here are my 20 questions that are really important or here's my 20 criteria that are really important to, to say yes to a deal, that is, um, is helping to create the right filter for the type of deals you wanna do. So for example, if you're trying to create passive income, but you aren't uh, looking at deals that are passive income based, emotionally, you're gonna wanna do these deals because they all sound great in the moment. But if passive income is your number one thing, that should be on your investment criteria. Criteria, You know, it provides passive income. You can even say the cadence on a monthly basis or on a quarterly basis. Uh, I think, and, and there's a lot of things like, you know, the if I'm doing a syndicated deal that the sponsor has had experience and has been a sponsor for over 20 years and has actually navigated um, recessions in the past and has performed well, or the pro forma from the last deal that went full cycle has actually, uh, it, it projected correctly, right? They, they, the pro forma was met. It was, uh, it, it was spot on or it was, it exceeded. I, what I like is it exceeded expectations because that tells me they're conservative. And I like that too. Uh, I mean, so the list goes on and on. But what I want is I want a list that helps me say no. Why? Most deals are bad. I want to go into every deal saying, no, this is a bad deal. I'm out unless I can prove that I'm in. And I think that's a much better framework than, ooh, this deal's really good. Let me disprove it because then emotionally you're tied into it being a yes. I think we should be emotionally tied into it being a no because most deals don't make it. Most companies don't make it. Most investments don't go well. So let's say no out of the gates and let's create a criteria that, that makes sense. Like if you have another job and you can't be an operator, then part of your criteria needs to be, I can't be the operator or I need to find an operator if I'm going to buy an operating business and, and so on and so forth. So I just think getting clarity there is going to solve a lot of problems later. And the goal is to figure out how fast can I say no into this deal so that I don't spend all this time on it to find out, you know, in, you know, I don't know, hours and hours and hours of, of due diligence that it's a no. Like, how do I find out it's a no right up front? So I'm only spending my time on the deals that could actually be a yes. I want a list that tells me I'm out. Did you hear what he said there? That's amazing. I think too often times we're looking for deals to say yes to instead of looking at enough deals to understand the few that actually would meet that criteria, that investment buy box, if you will. I love that. It's such a great point. All right. The last thing on your principles is in negotiation. Dig into negotiation because I think so few people, other than reading Chris Voss's book, don't really understand negotiation at all. How do you utilize that in a deal? I'm actually working on getting Chris Voss on my podcast right now. Uh, we're, we're working on having him uh, speak to our mastermind, the Lifestyle Investors. And so I, I'm excited. Uh, I, I love, I mean, that guy is brilliant. Uh, so check out his book if you haven't. But to me, a negotiation is a conversation. So I, I think a lot of people put all this energy and emphasis onto like, oh, now we have to negotiate. 
I don't look at it that way. To me, it's it's just an open conversation. I want to make sure that the deal is good for you, but at the same time, I need to make sure the deal is good for me. So my goal is to broker a win-win situation. Whatever deal you're giving me is probably good for you. That's why you're giving it to me. That doesn't mean that it's good for me. I need to assess whether that deal is good for me. And to me, a negotiation is not this adversarial, uh, you know, like, you know, meetup. It's 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 like my I always give this example of I'm not sitting across the table from you trying to close you on these like super aggressive, egregious terms. It's I'm sitting uh, on the same side of the table as you. And we're trying to figure out a resolution that is good for all parties, that everyone feels like this is a win for them. And it might not be like a slam dunk, right? In, in many instances, a slam dunk is probably too weighted to one side. So my goal isn't to win the negotiation. My goal isn't to optimize and maximize every single term. My goal is to have a good rapport, have a good conversation and meet somewhere in the middle and figure out what's important to you and then share what's important to me and how can we satisfy both? Because usually, and we could use real estate as an example, usually the seller has a price and the price is most important and terms are least important. Well, generally as a buyer, terms are most important to me, right? So like we can find common ground where you want that price. Cool. I want to help you get that price. Here are the terms I'm going to need to get to that price. So it's, so the whole negotiation is how can we win together? That, that makes a lot of sense. And I do think that there's a stigma around the term negotiation that there's even this idea that someone has to lose right in order for it to actually be successful negotiation. But to your point, um, the one thing that you you imply in what you're saying here is that you got to have a direct conversation with the seller. How many of us are investing in a position to have that conversation? And that's a big takeaway for me. Like tribe, if you're if you're missing this, you need to be in the position of relationship, right? We we talk about there's five aspects of a deal: money, opportunity, time experience and relationship. That's the, uh, the redneck way of spelling motor, right? Justin, I don't know if you knew that, you know, that's no. us Alabama guys. That's we, how we spell motor. And, <laughs> but that key, that last part is, you know, relationship. And if you're not in a position to where you're having those conversations, you, in order to be in the position of control in a deal, you have to, that is something you have to take that step to become. So, I know that you're doing that and that's why you're able to to have negotiation as a part of your principles that guide you. Um, man, I, Russ, I feel like we've we've kept Justin too long already and we could, we should continue for like two more hours. What do you think? Do you, yeah, we, you Justin, we, we need to have you back for sure. We're grateful <laughs> for you coming and sharing this, but we want to be a good steward of your time. But for those who are listening to this and they're just fascinated, maybe they've been following you for a long time and they want to go deeper, where would you point them to so that they can get uh, more connected with you? Well, probably the best place for anyone that really wants to take the next step. Like on my podcast, I always say, what's one step you can take today to move towards passive income and financial freedom and, and move towards a life by 
designed not by default. And so my goal is to help someone, uh, you know, move forward right away. And so what I'd love to offer your crew, your community is just access to some people in my organization that are happy to do a strategy call with them, uh, a free one-on-one -on -one call to talk about where they are and where they want to go and what programs, products, resources may be best for them in that, uh, you know, in that journey and that next step or next stage of their professional or financial journey. So if you go to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash strategy, uh, that would be the best place to get started. And someone on our team uh, would be happy to meet with you. Man, fascinating. Thank you so much for, for one, offering that. And then two, just providing so much value to the world and helping people live a lifestyle by design, not by default. What a great quote that is. Justin, if I can, can I chime in on one other thing real quick? Please. Go for it. Yeah. So to me, it is really important on the negotiation side. I know we just, you know, we're kind of wrapping that up, but like I look at every person I do business with as someone I can have another deal with. And um, because of the way I structure it, because of the relationship that I develop, I have had a lot of repeat deals and repeat business. And it's incredible because some of the second deals, third deals, fourth deals, fifth deals are like, so much better than the original deals, but they wouldn't come back if I didn't create a situation where they also won, right? So I just, I want to say that that's really important. And by the way, in my book, I literally outline everything. My goal was to give everything away I possibly could in the book. So you can find the book anywhere, um, you know, and, and all the proceeds of Lifestyle Investor go to uh, fighting human trafficking. So I haven't taken a profit from that book. We've donated hundreds of thousands of dollars now to the human trafficking prevention efforts all across the globe uh, through the Tim Tebow Foundation and Love Justice International. And, um, you know, I'm just I'm really proud of the work that we're able to do, not just on the financial freedom side, but on the real human life freedom side. Duh. Tribe, go buy the book right now, please, for love. This is what a great cause and it'll help you and help someone else at the same time. Justin, thank you again for coming on, man. Um, pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. At Tribe, as always, we um, thank you for listening to this. If you found value, take time to rate and review it. Share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear the message that Justin shared today. As always, have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.